deacon here at Mercy View. And tonight our scripture will be in James. Uh, We'll be in chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Starting with verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is the word of the Lord. Well, how are we doing tonight? Hope you guys are doing good. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name's Trey. Uh, I am on staff here. Actually, I oversee gospel communities. So if you don't have a gospel community, you want to be connected with us next week, uh, you can email info and I'll be the one that reaches back out to you. Catch me after service if you don't have a gospel community as well. Um, tonight, we're going to be digging into that passage from James that Lauren just read. So leave your Bibles open there. It's going to be the primary spot that we're at this evening. Uh, If you've been with us over the last 10 to 12 weeks, then you know we've been walking through a series through the Ten Commandments. And as we've done that, we've been trying to press underneath on on this idea that these 10 words, the, the Ten Commandments found in Exodus 20, are this foundation for God's good design for us to have a good life. In other words, that, that the good life, the, the life that is full and that is blessed is one that is found in walking in accord to uh, the law of God as it's revealed. We see throughout Scripture that God's law is good. We see throughout the New Testament that His law is good. So we've been pressing underneath that and looking at how it transforms our life. Namely, that, that we find freedom in knowing that the Creator of the universe has ordered our world in such a way that flourishing only really takes place when we live in submission to him. That true freedom is found in submission to God and his word through the finished work of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not found in being the master of your own fate, the shaper of your own destiny. It's found in knowing that God orders his world. And so tonight, we're sitting between that series and jumping back into the book of Romans on August 7th. And so we have this need to look, I think really in one clip, at how the implication of these 10 words have or should impact our lives as we move forward. So in a way, you can say that tonight, it's kind of like a post-credits scene of the Ten Commandments series. It's it's an epilogue. Like you just finish the book and, and there's... All of this stuff that's been said, like on the one hand, everything that needs to be said has been said, but the the story's been told, the hero is won, the problem is solved, the thesis is answered, but there's still something that is left that can, maybe even should, I'm going to say in our case, it definitely should be said. And that something is summed up in a sentence. It's in that verse from James chapter 1, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And something I know tonight is that there is a chance that as we've gotten to the end of this series, there's something that we've heard proclaimed 
over the last 10 or so weeks. And it's went in one ear and it's went out the other. That we've sat here, we've had the breadth and the depth of God's word and, and, and what it is moving us toward. It's been unpacked, it's been expounded, it's been expanded upon seeing how Christ has transformed the law so that we live in the freedom of what he has done and what he has accomplished. And we walked out the door and we didn't give it another thought. That we might have had every intention to, You sat maybe in that very same seat that you're sitting in right now and you were under the weight of conviction because you realized that, man, I break the Sabbath. Or you started to notice, man, when you really look at the way that Jesus transforms the law, maybe I I actually am a thief. Or maybe you were sitting there and it was five o'clock, but you were still kind of nursing a hangover from the night before because you'd went out with your friends and you started to wonder as we talked about the way that we bear the name of the Lord, if the way that you were bearing God's name as a believer with those coworkers really looked like it was in vain. Or maybe just last week we sat and we listened to the 10th commandment and that command, it probably pressed on your life like it did on mine. And that pull toward materialism, it started to want to tighten its grip around you. And you had every intention of reining in that covetousness that leads you to envy and jealousy. Being content with the graciousness of God's gifts towards you, the way that he has loved you. And then you got to book club on Monday, and Kathy comes rolling up in that brand new mom car that you really, really want and you know that you can't afford And all of that resolve just goes out the window. Like you start to covet. Maybe that's where you found yourself over the last 10 weeks. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, there's more than a chance that we've heard something that moved us in the moment. But 65 minutes later, as we're packing the kids up in the car and we're putting the thing in drive to head out the parking lot and get dinner, it just flies away. I know it happened because I know it's happened to me. And because James isn't going to tell us here in verse 22, hey, you need to be a doer, not just a hearer, if there's not this tendency inside of us to hear and not do. He doesn't need to say that if our tendency is toward hearing and obeying. And so we need this post-credit scene. We need the epilogue to remind us that we are not saved into a faith that is passive, into a faith that, that doesn't have any action attached to it, that action and obedience, they're not optional parts of the Christian life. They're not, if we get around to it, aspects of what it means to follow Jesus. No, the people of God are people in action so what's the goal tonight? What are, what are we looking to do? What are we trying to accomplish like beyond the obvious? That we should be doers, not hearers only. And there's a couple things. First, we've got to see how just enticing it is to live life with blinders on. Like there is an allure, there is a draw toward deceiving ourselves. And when we see that, we, we have to recognize and we have to notice that it is futile, that in fact it's, it's more than futile, it's, it's silly that we would lie to ourselves, that we would hear the word of truth and the law of liberty from the creator of the world and fail to conform our lives to it. And then once we unpack that for a bit, we need to see 
that there is a blessing that comes from persevering in obedience. And there's freedom that is found in the law of liberty being enacted and lived out in our lives. So let's first look at this idea that self-deception is something that's alluring, that, that draws us in rather than pushing us away. Because on its face, that kind of sounds a little absurd. Like, who wants to be lied to? Like, self-deception is just lying to yourself, and I don't think anybody wants to be lied to, but if we really think about it, we know that no one lies to you more than you do. That you are constantly lying to yourself. Like every time you decide that donuts are a good idea on Saturday morning instead of actually making a healthy breakfast, you are lying to yourself. Even the broader culture gets this idea that self-deception is something that we are prone to, um, so much so that it's a meme. I mean, obviously everything's a meme. Like there's a meme for every situation in life, and I'm definitely here for that. But at least once a week, like I see this meme posted on social media. You probably have seen it. It's about this like little yellow dog with a cute little top hat on, and he's sitting inside a restaurant, and there's a cup of coffee on the table, and he's just got a smile on his face, and the caption says, I'm fine. Everything is fine. And you look at the whole scene, and like the room is on fire. Like it's burning around him, and he's saying, everything's fine. Got a smile on his face. And the point is that clearly everything isn't fine. And it's far easier to pretend than it is to face reality. Like everything's on fire. And that's what self-deception looks like. That's what self-deception of just hearing the word and doing nothing looks like. Because what we happens when we hear the word, like when the gospel comes in and it begins to wreck our hearts and we see the law of God and we see the way it's supposed to move us, it shows us that the way we've been living to ourselves and not to God means that our world is on fire. And we just smile and say, everything is fine. And, and, and James, he's also pointing at another way that self-deception works its way out. Maybe, maybe the biggest way he's pointing at it is that self-deception comes in and through our lives when we think that the lie of good enough is all that we need. That it's good enough to just come and sit and hear. And that if all I do is come and sit and hear and I get filled up and things feel good, that something has happened and something is done. And James is saying, you're deceiving yourself. Now don't misunderstand me. Don't, don't, don't think that I'm saying that hearing isn't a good thing. Like James is going to say just a, he says just a verse or two before in verse 19. Hey, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Like hear more than you speak. Listen more than you act. Paul says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God in Romans 10. And in Galatians 3, he asked them, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And it's a rhetorical question because we know from Ephesians 2 that it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this isn't a result of works. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of your work. But what James is getting at, and what we got to see tonight, is what sits underneath that statement of being one who only hears. Like the problem that he's pointing to and he's trying to get us to see is that if we think that hearing by itself is all that we need, 
We're sitting in a burning room, sipping our coffee, saying everything's fine. Why? Well, one commentator puts it like this. He says that for James, theoretical correctness counts for very little if your life does not conform to the truth that you espouse. The notion that some sort of confession that doesn't result in life change could be significant is not something that James can take seriously. I need to pause for a moment because I read some text a moment ago that like, might have you going, okay, man, like those are pretty bedrock and pretty foundational to this whole like reformed tradition that we as Protestants are sitting in. Like guys like Luther and Calvin, like they kind of made their bread on by grace alone through faith. And Paul says that faith comes by hearing. And that's a hundred percent true. Like that we are saved by faith and not by works, not by law keeping is a hundred percent true. And so what is James getting at? And what is James saying is he's trying to point us to this reality of not just hearing, but hearing and doing. I think theologian commentator Douglas Moo in his commentary on the text has just a great summary of what that is. He says, those who fail to do the word, who merely listen to the word, are guilty of a dangerous and potentially fatal self-delusion. If the gospel by nature contains both saving power and summons to obedience, which it does, and I'm going to unpack that here in a moment, those who relate to only the saving side have not truly embraced the gospel. They think that they have a relationship with God, but if their listening is not accompanied by obedience, their true situation before God is far different. I don't remember who Bragg quotes this from, but he likes to say that the gospel is like a diamond. Right? You hold it up to the light and you get all these different sides of it start to show up. Like the, the gospel is this full orb, like kind of all of life thing. And as we see the gospel, we see that it's not just something that saves us, but it's a call to obedience. It's the good news that God saves you from what you can't save yourself and gives you what you can't give yourself. A new heart with new motivations. So what does self-deception look like for those of us here in the church? It looks like hearing the gospel message, assenting to the idea of being saved by grace through faith, yet failing to realize or walk in the reality that we were saved for obedience. Our obedience doesn't save us. It doesn't add anything to our docket. There's no way that God loves you more because you obey. He loves you fully in Christ, but salvation should and it does lead to an ever-deepening obedience because obedience isn't optional for the Christian. Case in point. I think we're all in agreement here that Jesus' words as he ascended into heaven, what we call the Great Commission, are a gospel-centered statement. Now, we agree that like Jesus, as he's going to heaven and he gives us this commission, that it's gospel-centered when he gets up there and he says what he says. And so what is it that Jesus says in the Great Commission? 
He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to what? Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. The parting words of Jesus, the gospel commission includes teaching those of us who would say, yes, I want to be on team Jesus. I'm on team Jesus. To obey the king that they claim to serve. To be doers of the word and not just hearers. Because that's what the promise and the hope of the gospel for God's people has always been. Take a look to the Old Testament. Look at the prophets. And as God is talking to Israel, and he's saying, hey, I'm going to do something among you. I'm going to to do a work among you. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to redeem you. After years of them breaking covenant faithfulness, in the midst of him punishing them for faithlessness and breaking his covenant, he promises that he's going to give them a new covenant. And you know what he makes as like the central part of this new covenant? It's not the land. It's not the power. It's not the prestige. It's that he's going to give them his spirit. And that through giving them the Holy Spirit, he's going to give them a new heart. And Ezekiel 37 says that this is what God says. I'm going to put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, the mark of saving faith is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And when we turn to Jesus and we trust trust him for our salvation, what we see happen is that the Spirit comes and dwells in us. And the evidence of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers, is a spirit-driven, spirit-led, and spirit-empowered obedience to God's word. It's the promise. And so that's what James is saying. That he and Paul aren't at odds. Like this, this book isn't opposed to grace through faith because grace through faith, it's the saving piece of the gospel. But what James is working us through is if there is no obedience, if there is no doing, then we're deceiving ourselves. The room is on fire and we're sipping coffee with a smile. And he's saying the gospel hasn't worked itself past your head into your heart. It hasn't got past your ears into this new motivation for loving God with all of your life. And there's a sense in which everything that needs to be said has been said in verse 22. But James presses on and he gives us this illustration starting in verse 23 and 24. And it's really helpful. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. Now, I'm sure that there is... Uh, probably something that most wives, fiancés, girlfriends have said to the men in their lives in this room. Guys, you've probably heard this, uh, and it goes something like this. Dude, did you even look at yourself in the mirror before you left the house this morning? Right? Because dude got up, and he walked in, and he brushed his teeth, and he looks in the mirror, and he notices there's a little bit of toothpaste on the corner of his mouth. And his hair is a little bit of a mess, and there's some scruff on his chin. And he grabs the shirt he wore a couple days ago, smells it to make sure it's okay, throws it on and walks out the door. 
And James is saying that is what it's like to hear the word and to just hear it and not do. The mirror of God's word is his law. And what we've been looking at for the last 10 weeks, it gives us this picture of who we really are. The word of God comes in like a hand wiping the fog off of the bathroom mirror. And our conscience is cleared up so that we can see clearly who we are. And it reveals the depths of our sin. And it brings conviction and sorrow over the way that we fail to honor God and our neighbor. And there's this great danger that we're going to hear. That we're going to come into this place for 45 minutes on a Sunday evening. And we're going to take it in and we're going to hear. And we're going to walk out the door and nothing in our lives is going to change. Because we're only hearers. It's silly. It's as silly as seeing the toothpaste on the corner of your mouth and walking away without reaching up to wipe it off. It's futile to look at the mirror of God's word, to see yourself rightly, and fail to move toward holiness and obedience. The mirror is there to help us change, to help us move from seeing to living, from hearing to doing. And that's a lot, and that's heavy, and here's the good news. When we can grasp onto this, we can see that the gospel is saving and summons. We move from hearing only to hearing and doing. And there is blessing in perseverance. James says being a hearer who does, not just a hearer who only hears, it carries immense blessing because it brings us into this place of true freedom. That's the point that we've been trying to dig underneath for the last 10 weeks. We've been hammering home that true freedom is found in knowing and keeping God's law, not in being completely free to live however you want to live. And so contrasting the futility of the man who looks in the mirror and immediately forgets what he looks like, James says in verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in all his doing. He's describing a person who genuinely believes the word of truth, the law of liberty. The person who has sat under the ministry of the word, or opened the scriptures, or been confronted in a GC or in a D group with their sin. And they take the word of God, and they don't just glance at it, but they take it in their hands and they gaze on it. And it comes into focus. It's like what happens when you're using portrait mode on the iPhone. And and this comes into focus and everything else starts to fade away. And they see themselves and they know that they have to change. They know that life can't be the same. They know that this is the true life. If this is true, life can't be the same. And they take a step forward. They act. They look at the law of liberty And James says they persevere. That's a really important word. That's the word that we got to key in on here tonight in this text. Persevere. Perseverance. You know what that implies? It implies that there is a certain level of difficulty involved in the Christian life. There is setback. There's delay in perseverance along the path. There's fits and there's starts. Things that take perseverance are never easy. They're never simple. They require work. 
But with every pitfall, there comes another press forward, another foot in front of the other. There's progress. What persevering in obedience looks like is taking three steps forward and taking two steps back. It's moving along the path toward holiness, toward righteousness, without which no one's going to see the Lord, right? Motivated by the work of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. Three steps forward, two steps back. Here's a couple ways that maybe this has worked itself out in your life over the last couple of weeks. Let's say you heard command number two. Week number two, we're we're sitting here, we're talking about how God says, hey, you are to have no other gods before me. You're not to make any graven images, any idols. And what that means for us is that when we take anything that is lesser and we put it in God's spot, that means that we've become an idolater. And you heard that. And something you heard and they're pressed on you and you, you started to realize that you had made some things in your life an idol. Maybe, maybe what it was was a good thing, not, not a bad thing, but a good thing that you just kind of put in the spot where God was supposed to be. Your marriage, your kids, your career, your hobby. And you actually left that Sunday and for the last eight so weeks you've been wrestling with, you've been struggling against, working to persevere at dethroning that idol in your life. And for a few weeks, things go well. You and your husband fought less because instead of placing the weight of your world on his shoulders and, and watching him crack underneath that because you had put him in the spot where, where Jesus needed to be, you actually moved him into the right spot and, and things were going along really well and, and you fought less. And struggle was a little bit less in the marriage. You walked in grace toward one another. Or maybe the thing that you had in the wrong spot was your career, it was work. And so work is sitting up here where God is supposed to be and after that week you actually dethroned work and you put it in its proper space. And for a few weeks everything started to work a little bit differently because you came home and you weren't angry. Like the stress of like having all of the weight of your hopes and dreams on your career was just gone. You weren't frustrated, but you're filled with joy. And keeping the second commandment actually led you to walking in and keeping the fourth commandment. Because instead of feeling like you had to work seven days a week, like you were able to actually Sabbath. And so you entered into restful worship for a few of those Sundays. And then life gets hard. Because it does. Your husband forgot to put the trash out on the curb and that can was already full. And now you know it's going to be an entire week of like flies swarming around. You've been trying to kill them for the last six weeks anyway. And it's a setback and it, it pulls you back into thinking that your world is crashing down because you realize you'd started moving your husband back into that place of, of holding up your world. Or maybe your workload ticks back up and it's been a hellacious week and you get to the end of it and in your inbox at 4.59 on Friday is an email from your manager and you had messed up one small little thing and in that email there's this question of your commitment and of your loyalty and you start to have this anxiety because what happens if I get fired? What happens if, if this thing that I'm, oh man, that I'm defining my life by again goes away? take a couple steps back these things move back into the ultimate spot 
And if we're a hearer only, then we stay stuck there. But a doer who acts, they come into this place on Sunday. They get a few moments on Saturday morning. And they open up their Bible and the kids are still asleep. And they come and they sit and they gaze at the word of God. And they look at the law of liberty. And all this other stuff is out of focus and all they can see is right here. And they see that and they gaze and they recognize that there's grace to walk in obedience. They look into the mirror and they see the toothpaste and they're thankful that the mirror is there. And they wipe it off. And maybe next time what happens is instead of taking just three steps forward, you take five. Instead of two steps back, it's only one. And there is progress toward walking in the life that God has called you to. It's not perfect and it's messy and it's struggle. And James says, the one who perseveres in doing that, they're blessed in all they're doing. Because they see the word of God and as they look at the way in which God has ordered life, they realize that though they aren't executing perfectly, there is this grace to walk in obedience. They've been set free. Because the law of God is for the people of God in the new covenant who have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of them, reviving their souls, taking their heart of stone and making it a heart of flesh. And he's preaching grace to your heart and he's moving you toward liberty. You're free from ruling yourself and you're able to humbly submit to God knowing that Jesus isn't going to look at your foibles and your feeble steps with contempt. He steps into the yoke and he carries you along. That's why his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Because he steps into it with you. And so you persevere. Perseverance is wrestling with and against sin. And it's not a pretty fight. Because when we see sin and we begin to fight against it, we we see in Scripture that we're called to put it to death. To take what's still in us from our old way of life and to crucify it. And we take up our cross and we crucify our flesh. And our sinful heart wants to fight against that with everything in us. It wants to sit content with hearing and not moving to doing. And what James says is the one who perseveres, the one who is a doer who acts, he's blessed in all his doing. So here's where I'm going to end tonight. I'm going to ask us a few questions. As we looked at James's words together, and as you consider the last 10 weeks, did you glance at the mirror and shrug? Or did it catch your gaze? Are you one who hears and does? Not that that means perfection, because it doesn't. It doesn't mean you get it 100% right, not even half the time. But does your life look like those fits and starts of holiness, of obedience that has you a few steps closer to the image of Christ that we're called to be than you were a few days ago, a few weeks ago, a few months ago? When you look back, can you see progress? That's what it means to be a doer of the word. 
And that kind of doing, it drips with grace. And it drips with mercy and understanding of our weaknesses. You know, Jesus understands your weaknesses. Like he knows that you're weak and he knows what it means to be weak because he himself was. He became weak for us. He's not now. Like, that's good news. He's not right now. Like, right now, Revelation describes him as standing in heaven with a sword and seven stars in his hand and a crown on his head. He's ruling. But the Jesus that rules and reigns, that this picture of this eternal God, he came into our world and became vulnerable and weak and suffered so that he could enter into your suffering with you. Are you a doer? Have you spent the last 10 weeks sitting and listening and walking out into the burning room of your world with a smile on your face? Say, man, that's a great message. Glad everything's fine. Did you let the conviction that you and I both know the Spirit brought into your heart at some point make you uncomfortable while you sat there in your seat? Maybe a little bit driving home, but then fade by Monday morning. Like I know there's a pretty high probability that we did that because it's far easier. It is so much easier to glance at the mirror of God's word, assent to the truth that we see about ourselves and we see about God and to leave unchanged. And it is far less comfortable and it's far more challenging to take the mirror and to gaze at it and to let everything come into perspective. And to really see the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere. Tonight, will it be different? Not because somehow you're better or stronger. Not because you're going to be able to white knuckle it this week and just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make your way to holy living. Is it going to be different because you recognize that the gospel saves and it summons and that God has provided you all that you need to walk in freedom and submit to his law. He's given you his spirit. Friends, tonight can be different because you can in your seat right now as you load up the car, as you eat that Chipotle burrito, as you brush your teeth, you can ask the Holy Spirit to do what it is he's promised to do, to give you a new heart, that's moved you to trust and obey God. A heart that day after day looks into the perfect law and it sees only liberty. That rejects the lie that you belong to yourself, but it knows you belong to God. Let's pray this evening.